0: continuing in our series, The Hunger for the Lord, and this morning we're going to talk about hunger for worship. Um, But our go-to verse for this is in Psalms, and it says, Taste and see that the Lord is good, and blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. I always find it intriguing that this verse says, Taste and see. So there's a part of God that is not supposed to just feel him, there's not supposed to hear him or sense him, but all of our senses come into play, and we're actually supposed to taste and see that he's good. There's a part of God that when his presence shows up, there's an aroma that comes with his presence. And so there's a fulfillment of God that we just need to step into. And so the desire is that as we walk through this series, it will stir up in you a hunger for who God is, a hunger for his presence, a hunger to be closer to him. And so we're going to look at Genesis uh, Genesis 32, verse 30, it says, um, Jacob was the first one who had an encounter with the Lord. And it says, So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. See, we understand that if, if we as humans see God, we won't survive. But there's a couple times in scripture where it says people saw him face to face, face to face. And my life was spared. There's a part of me that there's a desire to have a relationship with the Lord where I speak to him face to face. Just as Jacob had an encounter, as Moses spoke face to face with the Lord. And so my desire for us as a church is as we continue in this series is that you hunger for more of God. That you hunger for more than what you have at this moment. That you always want to be pressing in and growing deeper with him. See, after the encounter with Jacob, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. And so I also believe that when you have a true encounter with the Lord, you're never left the same. You have been changed so drastically, the way that he sees you, he doesn't even call you by the same name. Too many of us, we have an encounter with the Lord and we go back to the way we used to be. And so if you have a deep encounter with the Lord, I believe your life should be changed so much so that you completely walk in a different realm. As Annette was talking about this series by Stephen Frederick with the mirror, Jacob saw himself as God saw him, so much so that he had a whole new name. I don't know about you, but the person I was before I accepted Jesus Christ is definitely not the same person I am today. At this moment, I still carry the same name, but I had nicknames that I wouldn't mention, but um, you change, and as we change and we walk with the Lord, as we change and we get deeper with Him, who we are should change. Now, don't get me wrong, your personality, some of your gifting, stuff like that, they don't change, you just start using them for the right team. There's some people out there in the world who are incredible musicians, incredible um, artists, incredible uh, gifted people, and they're all given gifts, I would say, from the Lord. They're just batting for the wrong team at the moment. And so there's gifts in our lives that we can choose and use them in a different way. But because of Jacob's encounter, he was called Israel, and he changed forever. If you have a deep encounter with the Lord, your life should be changed for eternity. You should be able to say, on that day, this changed. And as we press into God, as we continue to press into him, there should be changes happening all the time in our walk with the Lord. I would challenge you on this. That if you were the same person today as you were six months ago, I would question your walk with the Lord. I know that seems blunt and straight, but the question is, if I am getting close to the Lord, if I'm spending time with Him, I should be beginning to look more like Him. So therefore, if I'm not changing the way I was six months ago, the way I was a year ago, even the way I was yesterday, if I'm not progressively getting closer to the Lord, looking more like Him, I would question what our walk with the Lord is like. Now, that doesn't mean there's something drastically horrible with you, but you can still improve. Unless your name is Jesus. And not that your parents named you Jesus, like Jesus, the Son of God. (laughs) This is the difference. And so we read about a second one. We talk about Moses, and it says this. This is what the Lord told Moses about Israel. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace so that they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. Because of Israel's encounter, because of Jacob's encounter with the Lord, they were supposed to be known as a nation who had his favor, the blessing of favor, and the peace on their lives. So we as Christians... Because we're God's people, we are supposed to have the favor of the Lord and we are supposed to have the peace of the Lord. I don't know about you, but that lets me know that when I walk in God's favor and I walk in his peace, there's joy in my life. So we are supposed to be known as people with joy. We're supposed to be known as people with peace. And we're supposed to be known as people with favor. Now, does that mean all of our lives are perfect all the time? No, not at all. If you're a believer in the room, you can vouch for that. We're not perfect. Our lives are not perfect. Jesus himself talks about the man who built his house on the rock and the one who built it on the sand. And it's interesting enough for both of them, the storm still came. But the one who built his house on the rock survived. And so for us as believers, when hard times come, it doesn't mean you're not a believer. It doesn't mean something's wrong with your faith. What it means is you're walking with the Lord, a storm has come. But because you are close to the Lord, you will make it through the storm. In the storm, that's what separates us. When you're in a storm with Jesus, in your relationship with Jesus, understand Jesus was on the boat with his disciples when the storm happened. The difference between the two of them is the disciples were freaking out and Jesus was napping. So while the trial was happening, the storm was raging, his disciples are freaking out, We're gonna die! Jesus is having a nap. And when he stood up, he said, Where's your faith? So in the midst of your storm, you still have peace. In the midst of your storm, you still have joy. In the midst of your storm, you still have the favor of the Lord. And here's the great thing. James tells us that God works all things out for... uh, God works all things out for those who love him. Works all things out for good for those who love him. Wow, it took a little while, but I got it. And with that, here's the great thing. If you're in the middle of a storm, I'll just ask you the question. Do you love Jesus? If you love Jesus and you're in the middle of a storm, it means God's still working it out. You don't have to freak out. You don't have to worry about it. You can stay calm and relax and know, I love Jesus, so he's going to work this out for good. So for my family, for my family, for Pastor Carlo at the moment, there's just stuff happening. Trust me, we still love Jesus, Pastor Carlo and Pastor Melissa are still saved. They still love Jesus. Their faith hasn't wavered. And as we walk through this, we just know tomorrow, next week, a month from now, a year from now, God is going to work it out for good because we love him. And that's the confidence we walk in. That's the, that's the confidence we walk in. Do we see that every day? No, we can't see it, but we know it. And so therefore, it's a faith that we walk in as believers that sets us apart from our non-believing friends. That in the midst of a storm, we have the peace of God. Because we know He's the one in control. And so this is what sets us apart. This is why when we get into a hunger with the Lord, when we get into a deeper relationship with Him, we understand that no matter what's happening around us, our daddy's still bigger. And so no matter what's coming at me, my dad's still bigger than your dad. And so I don't have to fret. I don't have to worry. We can walk with him. And we're supposed to be recognized by that. Exodus 33 verse 11 says, The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. I love this because Moses would meet another one, would speak face to face As one speaks to a friend. When we were at Overflow, um, Todd Cruz was speaking on Saturday morning. He talked about somebody that he knew. And they would, uh, in the morning, they would spend time with the Lord. But for them, it was just challenging to wrap their mind around um, speaking to God and having a relationship with the Lord. So what this gentleman would do is he would take two chairs. And he'd set one like this. And he'd put one like this. And they'd be facing each other. And he would sit in this chair with a cup of coffee. And he would look at the other chair as if God was sitting there. And he would talk. Because prayer is talking. And so he would sit with another chair and talk to God. It was just his visual of Jesus is just sitting here with me. and We're having a conversation. We're interacting. And so you're sitting and you're having this conversation. And you're asking God like, hey God, what are your plans for the day? What, would you, what, what do you like, want me to do today? You're kind of lining up your to-do list, your calendar with the Lord. And Moses would f- meet face to face as one speaks to a friend. This is what God wants for us. He wants us to be able to speak to him face-to-face as a friend. And it's always interesting. I believe as we have an influence, as we spend time with God, there should be this, um, almost like an aroma around us, a healthy one, um, but this aroma of God's presence around us that when we walk into places, people sense his presence. And I find it interesting, it says here, but his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, he obviously didn't have parents, did not, attend the t- did not leave the tent. Man, even worse than this one. I, I, thought, it was gonna, I thought this one was going to be a better one. Sorry. I'm a dad. It's, so, it's good dad jokes. Come on. Um, but no, like Joshua wouldn't leave. He wouldn't leave. And here's what happens when we wait in the presence of the Lord. I don't find it shocking that Joshua was like one of the only ones that went with him. And when Moses left, Joshua stayed Joshua stayed because even as a young boy, as a young aide, he knew that was God's presence. Now, I can't walk you through this in Scripture, but it doesn't shock me that Joshua sat there and waited in the presence of the Lord because the presence of God was still there. And the next person that God put as a leader was Joshua. We need to surround ourselves with people who walk in the presence of the Lord. Um, in one of, the, uh, one of the books I'm reading, uh, I forget who it is now, sorry, forgive me. The author says, these signs will follow the believers. and talks about what the Bible says about signs will follow the believers. They cast out demons, they'll heal the sick, they'll raise the dead. And he says this, he goes, if these signs aren't following you, follow people until they, f- they are, until they follow you. And you get close to people that walk in this and talk in this and operate in this. And it does. It imparts into you because you learn things. And this is what Joshua did. Joshua got close to a man of God who walked in this so much so that his face would glow. Exodus uh, 34 tells us that when Moses would come back from these meetings face to face, that his face glowed so much so that the Israelites said, hey, Can you put a veil over your face? Your face is too bright. His face glowed from the glory of the Lord. I don't know about you, but I would love to be walking around and people be like, Chad, man, and not because of the light off my head. He's like, Chad, like, come on, right? Like, there's this part where you're like, how much time, how much of God's glory just went right off of him? This is the relationship that God is calling us to. He's calling us to a relationship to be deeper with him, to sit in his presence, to talk to him, to walk in his presence. But here is the way it changes for us. We need to make a choice. He's inviting. We need to respond. If we don't respond, then we won't get into his presence. Exodus 3, 2-4 says this. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within the bush, Moses saw that the bush that though the bush was on fire it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. Then the Lord saw, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. It's interesting that God, it says in the scriptures here, in verse 4, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, then God called to him from the bush. God didn't call. What would have happened if Moses didn't go over? What would have happened instead of Moses being the curiosity kid going, hey, that bush is on fire, but it's not burning. I want to check it out. What if his response was, that bush isn't burning. That's weird. I'm getting out of here. So he said, that's interesting. I'm going to go investigate. I want to look. Too often, I think, in our Christian life, when we see the Spirit of God moving, we think it's weird and back up instead of pressing and get closer. Just because it might not look the way we think it should look, it doesn't mean it's not God. And because he went over, the Lord called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Here I am. What do you want me to do? Now he argued with him he argued but it walked in close checking it I was saying. Yes. Another person who obeyed out of obedience was Abraham. Abraham's obedience is what set him apart with God. Nothing was special about Abraham. If you read about Abraham leading up to this there was nothing special about this guy. And here's the thing that God asked Abraham to do. Pack up and leave your father's land. That was the first thing he asked. Now, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about this for a minute because Abraham not, is not single. He is married, he has a family, he has tons of responsibilities. So, you hear God say to you sell your house and move. Okay, God, where am I going? All right, I guess I'll sell my house. You sell your house. You pack up the moving truck. You get in the moving truck. You get in the moving truck. Your wife gets in beside you. You start it, and she goes, where are we going? I don't know. How many wives are a little nervous at the moment? Well, what direction are we driving? Good husband? You choose. Wife says, let's go right. Sure. Sure. Why'd you choose right? That eh, sounds right. Right? Like, this is all he has. He has nothing. And he packs everything up and starts going. And it was once he started moving that God said, Here you go. Too often in our Christian walk, we freeze because we don't have all the information. But our faith never kicks in until we're willing to take a step of faith without all the information. God will ask us to move. God will ask, not physically sell and move, but he'll ask us to move and he'll do things. He'll ask you to physically move too, but he'll ask us to do things without giving us all the information. Just to see, are you faithful? Will you listen? Will you go? It's an act of faith that took Abraham from a father of none to a father of a nation. God chose him and he chose the Israelites not because there were anything special about them. They were nobodies. God chose them so that he could show the world by using normal people. He still does it today. He likes to use normal people to show the world his wisdom and power. To show the world how incredible he is. He uses normal people. Acts 4.13 says this, And then they saw the courage, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. Ordinary men, just like you and I, just like you and me, ordinary people. You don't need to have a deep theological degree. You don't need to have all of this reputation. You don't need to have all of these things. God will use just regular, ordinary people. And I don't know about you, I'm thrilled that he chooses to use ordinary people. I'm thrilled that he chooses to use unschooled ordinary men because I could show you my transcript from school. I won't, but I could. And I just love the fact that he will choose to speak through ordinary people. If you think, Chad, I'm actually super ordinary, so like he, like I don't think he'll speak through me, just want to remind you. He spoke through a donkey. He can speak through you. He speaks through me. He speaks through everybody, ordinary people. But the last line they took note that these men had been with Jesus. When you spend time with Jesus, you have wisdom, you have knowledge, you have favor, you have a joy that walks with you, and people recognize something different. They may not know exactly what it is, but you give them the opportunity, and they will ask, and then you have the opportunity to share Jesus Christ with them. It is that, I don't want to say that simple, but it's that simple. We share Jesus. We spend time with him. We love on him, and he begins to speak through us. Here's the interesting thing. When Abraham met with the Lord, he receives always power and favor. It was given for a reason and a purpose. When we receive favor and power, he gives it to us with a purpose. There's always an assignment. There's always something to be done with it. It's kind of like Spider-Man. With great power comes great responsibility. When God gives you something, he gives it to you with a purpose. He gives it to you, not just so you can um, be gifted at something, but he needs you to use that gift for a purpose. If you're not sure yet, spend more time with him, and he will direct you on the path to show you what it is. See, Abraham, he he was always meeting with God. It was always about a destiny of a nation. Every encounter talked about the generations to come. You need to realize, Abraham didn't see the promise come. Abraham never saw the promise fulfilled. He never saw himself come a father of nations. See, this is us as a church. We need to identify with this part because we celebrated, um, Bethel's church celebrated 100 years as a church 12 years ago. And my goal, if God waits and God tarries, then we will celebrate 200 years as a church. But every one of us in this room, mathematically, am I pretty accurate? Yeah, I think I'm pretty, no, maybe a couple of you, will not see that happen. But it is a promise from God that if we are faithful, he will continue to move in our church. Here's the thing. Does that mean it's not about us? Well, yes and no. It means that it is our responsibility, that's where it's about us, it's our responsibility to make sure that the little ones that are attending our church love Jesus Christ. Well, does that mean we do everything for them? No, but yes, Because if you're in this room and you've saved, if you've asked Jesus into your heart and you know you're going to heaven, then guess what? It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about the unsaved. It's my desire that our kids grow up to love Jesus Christ. And that's our responsibility. So it is about us, the responsibility part. We're supposed to pour into the next generation and the generation to come. So that way, your grandkids your great-grandkids, and maybe for some of us, our great-great-grandkids, and Lord willing, our great-great-great-grandkids, I'm not going farther, I'll mess it up, but it, you understand my heart, that they will serve Jesus Christ. This is, what our, this is why it's about us. That's our responsibility, to make sure that the next generation loves the Lord. Now, how many people love having prophetic words spoken over their lives? Anybody like to receive a prophetic word, write it down, like, oh yeah, I want, this is going to encourage me? Well... God gave Abraham a prophetic word of what was going to happen in Genesis 15. He tells Abraham about the 400 years of slavery that are coming. But he also tells them the reason and plan for it. Now, let's be honest. That's not a prophecy that you're going to write down. You're not going to write down like, oh, that was a good one. I just want to record that and make sure I follow up on that one. But this is what he tells them. Now, through the prophecy, though, leading into it, for the prophecy we fulfilled, we see a man raise, rise up in favor with the Lord. And his name is Joseph. Joseph loves the Lord. He worships the Lord. But Joseph takes a road to the fulfillment that none of us want to take. Joseph knows he's supposed to be one of the top rulers. That every, people are gonna, his family is going to bow before him. Um, he wasn't really smart. He shared that dream he had. See, sometimes when God speaks to you, it doesn't mean you're supposed to share it. Some stuff you keep to yourself. If God shows you your family is going to bow and worship you, I wouldn't share that. It's not a good advice. I don't think my older brother would appreciate me telling him that. Um, And so Joseph takes this weird road. But here's the thing. If Joseph didn't follow the path that he followed, he wouldn't have known what he needed to know when he got to the position that he had. If Joseph didn't end up in the position that he had, the fulfillment of the prophecy that the Israelites were going to come out of Egypt with uh, prosperity, Egypt would have never survived the famine if Joseph wasn't there. So if Joseph wasn't there, Egypt would have never been a prosperous nation. So when the Israelites left their nation, they wouldn't be prosperous. You're following the line here. Jesus puts everything into place. While he's doing this, when Joseph dies, here's what happens. A pharaoh rises up who recognizes the hand of God, the favor on the Israelites' life. He sees how many of them are, and he becomes jealous and fearful. Here's a side note. When you receive favor in your life, and you walk in it humbly... It's not always received well. Sometimes it's provoking others who don't have the favor of the Lord. Now I know, Chad, everybody receives the favor of the Lord. We're all Christians. Everybody's equal. That's not scriptural. Pastor Charles said it well last week when he was talking. He said that um, the favor of the Lord isn't fair. Now he said that's what we say as a staff. He was a little bit off. We just say favor ain't fair. Uh, We're not as properly Englished. But we just say favor ain't fair and it's true. I know in today's society, everybody's equal. Everybody gets a participation uh, ribbon, which is horrible. No, sometimes you lose. It's just life. Um, But there's parts of it where God will hand out his favor, and he'll give it to different people at different levels. And when that happens... People get jealous, it's provoking, and it's happened all through Scripture. You can look back to Cain and Abel, you can look back to Satan and Job, literally, Joseph, uh, Jacob and Esau, David and Saul, and even when Christ showed up, the Pharisees. You can look at it today in the churches today. I could throw out right now some pastors' names that are being used by God greatly. They're ministries, they're healing people, they have massive churches, and if I threw out certain names people in this room would have different opinions. And most times, critical. Critical opinions. Now, I just want to caution us as believers. Because see, Moses' brother and sister were criticizing Moses. God shows up in a cloud, calls them outside. hey, come here. Paraphrasing for you. How dare you? How dare you judge my friend? We don't know what God's doing. We don't know how God's using people. But it's funny how we criticize people with massive crowds. And we don't criticize people that aren't doing anything for God. Sometimes we say the people are really doing something for God, like not they have small crowds, they're not growing, it's unhealthy. We say, well, that's because they're really preaching the gospel. These other ones aren't. Really? Jesus spoke the gospel straighter than anybody, and he had thousands following him, and you know who questioned him? The Pharisees. I just want to caution us. I want to caution us. I don't want to, my my personal heart, I don't want to stand before God and him point at me and say, how dare you? Now, Are we supposed to hold each other accountable? Absolutely. I'm not saying don't have accountability. But here's the thing. The people that I hold accountable are the ones that ask me to hold them accountable. The people who hold me accountable are the ones that I've asked to hold me accountable. If we speak ill of leaders, we're not doing what God's asked us to do. It's interesting because, see, God uses Pharaoh to put the Israelites into slavery so they could fulfill a prophecy. Scripture tells us that all authority is placed there by God. Yes, even bad ones, or even ones we don't agree with. But it's there so God can do what he needs to do, which most of us don't understand, Because he's God and I'm not. Do I understand everything that God does? No. And if I could, if I could comprehend God in this brain, you wouldn't want to serve that God. If I could tell you everything that he was doing, he has come now from a God to something that I can understand and comprehend on all levels, which is no longer a God. And he's the God and Savior. We're not supposed to understand. But leaders are here and we're supposed to pray for them. I find it interesting what the scripture tells us. The scripture tells us that they will know we're his disciples by the way we love one another. What I find interesting with that is this. My unsaved neighbors will not, the Bible doesn't tell me they'll know that I am a disciple by the way I love them. Which we think that's what it should say. That makes sense to me. That they'll know I'm a Christ follower by the way I love them. But that's not what scripture says. It says that they'll know that we're a disciple of Christ by the way we love one another. So here's the thing. You can love your neighbor, but if you talk smack about the church all the time, guess what? Why would they want to come? That's like trying to get me to cheer for the lease. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't have said that. I apologize. It's truth, but I shouldn't have said it. It's truth. but um, No, but you understand what I'm saying? How do we get people... To fall in love with Jesus. To fall in love with his bride, the church, if we don't talk nice about it. What we say is big. The way we love one another. We're supposed to lift one another up. We're supposed to pray for one another. So Pharaoh brings him into slavery. Brings him into a place that holds him under bondage. Moses rises up. Moses knows and understands that he's supposed to be a leader. He tries it on his own. He kills somebody. And how many people know when you try to do it on your own, you kind of mess it up? Anybody? I've never killed somebody doing it, but you understand what I'm saying, right? Like, we mess it up when we try to do it on our own and not do it in God's way and God's timing and walking with him. So Moses has to go on a journey to try to figure things out, get right, seize the bush, gets connected with God, has an encounter with the Lord, and things change. When he comes back, he comes back, not just, he doesn't come back to set them free, he comes back so they can go worship God. That's why he came back. Take my people to come worship me. So he comes back because he comes back to set the Israelites to go worship the Lord because we were created to worship God. That's what we were created to do. Every one of us in this room, we were created to worship the Lord. And here's the neat thing we were created in his image. So we were created to worship the one whose image we were created in. And so as, as uh, Moses shows up, here's the interesting thing. Do you want to know who knows the power of worship? The enemy. The enemy actually understands the power of worship more than we do. So much so they use Pharaoh as an example. Pharaoh understands this power of worship. So here's what happens Moses comes, says, Let us go worship, blah, 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 blah. Exodus 8 25. Mo- Pharaoh says this. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Go sacrifice to your God here in the land. Moses wants to take the people out to go worship. Pharaoh goes, no, 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 no. You can worship him right here, full on. You guys, you want to worship your God, do it right here. Go ahead, go ahead. Here's the thing. Pharaoh understood that if we worship right where we are and nothing changes, he doesn't care. If you worship God, if you come to church every Sunday and your life doesn't change, the enemy doesn't care. You can come as much as you want. Well, no, Chad, I think the enemy cares because like, we have the worst fights ever on the ride to church. Like, do you know how much I yell at my kids on the way to church? I'm surprised we don't, like, I'm surprised there's not a divorce lawyer at the church. Like, there's this part of, like, so we think because it's challenging to get here that the enemy cares. If you come every Sunday and your life doesn't change, he doesn't care. You can come as much as you want. This is Pharaoh. Hey, you can worship, but I want you just to stay right where you are. Just stay right where you are because, see, true worship requires dedication And our entire life to the Lord. True worship requires change. So we progress on. They have some plagues. Moses comes back and says, let us go worship. Pharaoh finally says in Exodus 8.28, he says, I will let you go to offer sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. But you must not go very far. So here's the other thing. You can worship God. But like, let's tone it down a little bit. Worship God. But let's not go too far with this. Like, understand something. Just so you're aware, if you want to worship God biblically, there are more references to dancing before the Lord and shouting before the Lord than there is about clapping or raising your hands. Now, don't get me wrong. See, the devil's fine if you just have your hands in your pockets and you're singing along. Sometimes he'll even stretch you and be like, hey, if you're going to worship the Lord, just hold the TV for a little while. Don't get extreme, right? Hold the TV. Now, if you're going to stretch a little bit, you can talk about your fish, Right? You can talk about your fish. Right, Patrick? Let's be honest. You and Jesse. Eh, come on. Talking about your fish. And then like, if you get an extreme, you can call a field goal. Right? If you haven't seen Tim Hawkins' videos, I'm just stealing material here. But it's an awesome video. If you get carried away, you might wash a window. Right? That's why I don't sit close to Melissa. I get hit in the head. He's okay with you worshipping. Just don't get extreme. Now, Chad, are you saying I need to dance before the Lord? Maybe. Maybe you do. I don't know about you, but if life life isn't changing, if you're not progressing in your walk with the Lord, if you're not going deeper with him, then change something. Well, I don't think I need to dance before the Lord. Neither did David's wife. I don't think you have to dance. I'm not telling you have to. But if you need something to change, change something. About uh, two months ago, three months ago, I changed my eating habits. And we were out for supper last night with a couple, and they asked me, so what made you decide to change the way you eat? And I told them I had to take breathing breaks when I was tying my skate laces. I'm being honest. I spent over time my skates, and I wasn't done the right one. And I'm like, I can't breathe. Sit up. My belly was too big. Finally, the pain of not changing was worse than the pain to change. There's decisions that we need to make in our walk with the Lord. If you need to get deeper with the Lord, do something different. Well, Chad, I've been worshiping the Lord for the same way the last 25 years, and I feel just great. Does he? I don't think I need to raise my hands any different. I don't think I need to do anything different. Okay, but you're not going to get different results. This is all I'm trying to encourage you, and I'm not expecting you to come, and all of a sudden, there's people body surfing and a mosh, I'm not asking for that. All right, I'm asking not for that, actually, but what I'm asking is, try something. For some of you, it just might mean sitting somewhere else. Do you know why I like sitting in the front row? It's not because I'm a pastor. Just so you know, most of us don't like sitting in the front row because we're a pastor. Everybody can see us. I'm always worried if if I missed a spot. The reason I like sitting in the front row is because everybody I can see is worshiping the Lord. And when I see everybody worshiping the Lord, it encourages me to worship. The farther you sit back, though I'm not, sorry, I know (laughs) I see everybody back, I'm apologizing, but no, I'm not. But when you sit farther at the back, you can see people in front of you who might not be worshiping, and guess what that lets you know? Oh, I don't really feel like it either. But the closer you sit, the closer you sit, the more people you see just worshiping. And it encourages you to worship. I am not naturally a worshiper. You know this. I can't sing. I can't clap on beat. If, if I'm singing up here, my, mute, my mic is muted or I am purely mouthing the words because you don't want to hear it. But here's what I've stressed myself in. Probably in the last year, when I drive in the car, and I'm by myself. I used to always listen to books, audio books and podcasts and different leadership stuff, and I still do, but a lot of times now I spend with worship music playing. And while the worship music is playing, I'm singing away because there's nobody in the car, so nobody cares. And I have noticed a change in my walk with the Lord. My walk with the Lord is deeper now because of the time I spend worshiping. I would encourage you to worship the Lord more than even, understand me, I will clarify all this because somebody's going to get upset. Don't email me, I won't care. Um, I would encourage you to worship the Lord even more times than you spend reading the Word. Understand me, read the Word every day. We, live, we don't live on bread alone, we live on the Word of God. I I'm, I'm hear my heart. Read the Word of God. But realize this the disciples changed the world because of the time they spent with the Lord and spent with the Holy Spirit. They didn't have the Bible. Now, hear me, read the word of God, but you need to spend time worshiping him. I would encourage you now, if this is stretching your mind, if you you spend 20 minutes with the Lord every day, do 10 minutes worship, 10 minutes reading the word. All I'm saying is most of us, we spend 98% of our time reading the Bible and we'll spend time worshiping God on Sundays. And we don't understand the power of worshiping God. This is what he created us for. He created us to worship him, to be in his presence. It says he'll inhabit the praises of his people. It doesn't say he'll inhabit the book studies of his people. Now, don't get me wrong. Hear my heart, please, please. Understand me. I read the Bible daily. It's powerful. I will not give that up. I'm not telling you to give that up. I'm telling you to spend more time worshiping the Lord because most of you probably don't. But you spend tons of time reading the word. Do that I'm telling you to add to it. Does that make sense? Without anybody writing me a nasty email, understand my heart, all right? But we need to stretch ourselves and in, into the presence of God through worship because of how important it is. See, I'm all thrown off now. I got to find the spot. Boom, boom. Okay, Exodus 10:11 says this. Pharaoh finally gets to this point. Now, no. Have only the men go and worship the Lord, since that's what you have been asking for. Then Moses and Aaron were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Just the men. Do you realize that even Pharaoh recognized it? That there is a unity and a strength when families worship together? He wanted to separate it. Okay, I'll let you go, but all the families stay back. Just the men go. Just men. We need to worship God as a family, not just as an immediate family. We need to worship God as a corporate family. This is why we come together. There's something about worshiping the Lord together that invites his manifestation presence. I will tell you that the more you worship the Lord together at home, the more your family will grow in the love of Jesus. See, Jesus created, God created that when husband and wife, they become one flesh. That's unity. When that unity worships God together, it elevates God's presence. It elevates His joy. Men in the room, I'm sure it's one of the hardest things for you to do, but I need you to pray with your families. I'll tell you, when Melissa and I first got married, she has been pastoring way longer than me. So in our house, I was the spiritual leader. The moment we stepped out of our house, she was the pastor. I was working construction. I will tell you today to stand up in front of you and to speak and to pray and to do all those things. I'm nervous sometimes, but most times I'm pretty used to it now. To pray at home is the most nerve-wracking thing for me. I'm being honest with you. It's the most nerve-wracking thing for me. Because of my insecurities. Nothing, nothing that Melissa's ever done but my insecurities. So when we're praying, I've just kind of, I don't know... I don't pray with my eyes closed. If you think that's unspiritual, that's fine. But when I close my eyes, I'm like squirrel. It's gone. So my eyes are open all the time when I'm praying. So I see body language. And so any type of body language that Melissa does, the enemy's just chirping away. Oh, she didn't think you prayed well enough. Oh, she thinks you're an idiot. Oh, she thinks, right? Like this is what he does. And so this is what's going through my head. Now, hear me, just, I want to, nothing Melissa's ever done. So, men, I get it. So, ladies, here's what I need you to do. I'm encouraging your husbands to pray with you at home. So, husbands, I'm encouraging you today, don't wait till tomorrow, today, pray. And I don't mean pray over lunch, I mean pray. And it doesn't have to be long. If you don't pray at home, pray for like five seconds, Lord, bless my wife, bless our marriage, help us to be strong, amen. You can repeat that. That's it. That's all you got to pray. Ladies, here's what I need you to do. Hear me. Hear my heart. I need you to look at your husband when he's done praying, and I need you to look at him and say, That was incredible. Thank you. Big smile. Give him a big kiss. Being honest. Being honest. Celebrate with him. Encourage him. Because the enemy knows this power. So that's why he will chirp away at your husband's ear, and he won't tell you. But the enemy's a punk, and this is what he's trying to do. He's trying to cause a divide. If you encourage, the man will step up. It's our insecurities. It's nothing you have done. It's the enemy knowing, so he's attacking. Pharaoh, you can go, but just not the family, just the husband. Exodus 10.24 says this. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and said, Go worship the Lord, even your, chil- your women and children may go with you. Only leave your flocks and herds behind. When we worship the Lord with everything, yes, including your finances, when you trust the Lord with everything, with everything, even your wallet, that is true worship. Pharaoh knew it. I'll let you all go, but just leave this behind. He doesn't want us to give God everything. When you worship God with everything, that's when we step into his favor. That's when we step into his presence because we hold nothing back. Nothing. Every area of our lives, every area of our homes, every area of our marriage, everything is released to him. We give him permission to move because here's the thing. A Christianity that costs little, is worth little. A Christianity that costs lots, is worth lots. I had a mentor tell me, when we were going through some stuff, he said to me, he's like, Chad, whatever you walk through, and get to the other side in, you then have authority over. So anything you walk through, and you come to the other side, and you're on the top part, and you're the victor, you now have authority over that. That's why you'll see, when we pray for healing and stuff in this room, if I know there's somebody in the room, who's been healed of it, I get them to pray because they have authority over it. This is why we walk through things. So here's the things you need to remember. Number one, worshiping God should bring change in our lives. Your life should be changing all the time. If it's not changing, press in more, because life with God should be changing. Number two, worshiping God should cause us to let go of the things that don't look like him. See, here's the thing, you were created in God's image, you understand that, right? So you already are supposed to look like him. There was a, a um, carver, he carved stuff out of rocks, and he was looking at this big rock, and he was about to start carving it, and somebody came along and said to him, so what are you going to carve out of the rock? He's like, an elephant. And the guy asked them, he said, how are you going to make that look like an elephant? Well, I'm going to chip away all the rock that doesn't look like an elephant. He saw the elephant already. So he was just removing the pieces that weren't, shouldn't be there. That's God in your life. He created you to look like him. So when you go to look like him, to press in, to be more like him, he's just sandpaper and chipping away the things that aren't supposed to be there. It's stuff that we have that needs to go away. And so this is why things that don't look like him should go away. Number three. Worshiping God should be done as a family. I encourage you, put some worship music on. Even when you're driving in the car, just have some worship music on. One of my favorite albums right now is uh, Bethel, not us, uh, Bethel Redding. They released an album called Victory. It's incredible. Just put it, hit play, and it's amazing. Listen to it as a family. Have it playing in your home. Number four, worshiping God with everything we have is what we are called to do. Everything you have, everything, give it all to him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the ability to come to your house, the ability to walk into your presence. Lord, I pray that every one of us has an yearning, Father, for a deeper walk with you, a deeper relationship. And so, Lord, help us to press into you. Lord, help us to worship you in a way that changes our lives. Help us to worship you in a way that brings change to other people's lives. They see you in us, Father. And so, Lord, as we go today, keep us safe and let us be a light for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.